Good morning, Christ Central. I'm Karen McNary, and I serve as one of the women's shepherds, and I'm also a part of that. I need to be in a community group group. So some of y'all are with me, right? Um, so today I'm going to be reading, or our text is from Numbers uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 35, but I'm going to be reading 1 through 15, and then I'll pick up with verses 31. So if you would read with me. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the era was known as Tibera, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. <clears throat> we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our, our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with the hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard the family standing in the doorways of the tents whining, and the Lord became extremely extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother nurses a caring baby? How can I carry them into the land you swore to give to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Verse 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all, the, all day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. So that place called Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony, because they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. From Kibroth Hatava, the Israelites traveled to Hezroth, where they stayed for some time. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Hopefully, you had enjoyed your extra hour of sleep this morning, or uh, for those of you with children that do not understand daylight savings time, hopefully, you had a good breakfast this morning with them. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, we're glad you could join us. Uh, we're glad you're here. Please do stop by our visitor's table on your way out to connect with us, to get to know our vision and mission of our church. Uh, we're taking a short break 
um, in our current sermon series in First and Second Timothy. We just finished our First Timothy uh, last week, and we'll take a couple weeks off. We actually have Pastor Omari speaking next week. The following week, we'll have Pastor Charles McKnight from African American Ministries. They'll be joining us on the 20th to share God's Word with us. After that, guess what? Advent. Christmas season is here already, right? I know with Halloween being over, all the Christmas stuff is out already. It's coming. It's already going to be here. We'll have different speakers come and talk about the season of Christmas with us. And then we'll be back in 2 Timothy in the new year. So there's going to be a lengthy break here due to the seasons that we're in. But today, we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Numbers, the book that we often skim through. Or if you are doing a Bible reading, we often say, great, Genesis, Exodus, oh wow, this book's I have no idea, and we skip through that, right? But oftentimes in these narratives, these stories, we find great lessons that God wants to show us more about who he is here today. Back in 2019, WHO, World Health Organization, officially classified workplace burnout as an occupational phenomenon in its latest revision of the International Classification of Disease. According to WHO, they said burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that had not been successfully managed. Burnout refers specifically to phenomena in the occupational context and should not be applied to describe experiences in other areas of life. Well, that was 2019, right? We're now in 2022, and we realize the burnouts are not only prevalent with those who are in workplaces with high stress, but also in the number of different places that you are and you and, you and I are often faced with relational challenges. We experience burnouts all throughout different phases of our lives. It may be in our homes while caring for our children, especially during the pandemic. It may be in the area of familiar relationships that's been hard with the election season that's coming up. It may be in the case of elder care that we're called to care for. Even perhaps relationships in the church. As Frudenberger and Maslach, two of the earliest psychologists and scholars who have immensely contributed to our understanding of our burnout today, they said to put forward the burnout is rooted in caregiving and service occupations where the core of the job is centered on the relationship between the provider and the recipient. He's saying oftentimes burnouts happen in the context of any relationships where there's provision being happening and someone that's receiving it in the process. You add that to the pandemic with the great resignation that is happening, with the great reshuffle, as they say, that's happening. You name it. It's been one challenging season where burnouts are rampant all throughout us, all around us, perhaps happening in our own life today. The question is, are you wrestling in that this morning? Are you wrestling with burnouts in different areas of your life? Perhaps it's not necessarily burnout you're experiencing whether at work, at home, even at church. But oftentimes, many of us are called to carry this weightiness around us. It bogs us down. It makes us wonder, am I really made for this? 
For some of us, it may not be full of burnout, but the circumstances that you and I are in are leading you to wonder, what is all this for anyway? What's the point of doing all these things daily, again and again and again? The daily monotonous challenges of doing the same cycle over and over and over again. Perhaps you are excited for the new job, a new city, the newness of something for a season, but we recognize the same thing after all, just a little different than before. And it's not changing any weight that pulls you down. With that, we turn to Numbers 11. Because when we come to Numbers 11, church, we find Israelites resuming their journey out of Sinai. And in the first few days of their travel, make that three days, we read this in Numbers 11. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said, and the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent fire arrays among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Taborah, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Just in a matter of three days, we see an incident again, a very familiar incident that happens throughout the Exodus journey, complaining Israelites, right? And of course, here comes God's punishment and Moses' plea to intervene and result is the area known as Tebra, the burning place. But that doesn't end here. In subsequent verses, right after that, we finally see Moses, the leader, this great prophet, burning down or breaking apart. If the golden calf of the Sinai wasn't enough, even Tebra, the burning place, wasn't enough, here comes another complaint this time about miraculous bread, manna, the food that God provides. And Moses seems like he just about had it with his people. Doesn't he sound like it? He's losing it. And we see it. Here comes to God. He comes to God and says, perhaps I should just die. Take me, God. Why am I doing this? And perhaps some of you, we didn't read this part, but reading through this, you may think, well, God may be burning out too. He may be saying, okay, I can't deal with you anymore by this crazy Israelites complaining again and again. Talk about being burnt out. Both Moses and God dealing with complaining Israelites. So what do we see in this text? Do we see anger management issues here? Do we see hopelessness? Don't dare complain against God. Is that the lesson that we see? Bear down and move on yet another 40 years. Hope for the best. Is that the purpose of this life anyway, as we see? And subsequently, we're called to go on a journey with the Lord as well. Scripture often talks about walking with God. Christian life is a journey in the wilderness. And the question for us is, how can we learn what it means to grow with the Lord, to walk with the Lord in the wilderness? After all, this narrative, as we find in Old Testament, does serve as a warning, but also a lesson for us in understanding what it means to live with the gospel hope in our life. So what is God showing Moses here? We find the gospel. I know you're probably thinking like, how, where? Gospel is here. We find God who walks with them, who leads them out, who brings out their testimony and goes from burnout towards burning for the Lord. And that's what we'll see this morning. First thing we see in this story is the narrative is burning 
out of self, burning out of self. Church, remember who are these Israelites? They're the ones that God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt with miracles. Remember those? Ten great miracles that happened. God brings them out. And they also got to see the splitting of the Red Sea against this impending death and doom at the hands of Egyptians. Not only so, throughout time and time again, God provides food, resources, comfort. And God feeds them in the journey in the desert. Not to mention, God does not wipe them out, even at the hand of golden calf, where they could not wait for Moses to come down from the mountain with the law of God. And now in their journey, a merely few days after leaving this Sinai, where they experience God's presence resting upon the mountain, they start complaining again. This time about the food they used to eat in Egypt. And at this point, Moses just about had it. He looks at this, and this is what he says. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tent whining. Can you just picture that? Picture that with me, right? You wake up in the morning, and everybody's in their tent saying, Woe is me! Woe is me! And this is your day of work. Perhaps it's like emails of all the complaints that come to your way, right? Moses was obviously very aggravated, as we see here. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. Why did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? All these people, millions of people, right? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into this world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carrying a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor, spare me of this misery. I don't know about you, but that's not a picture of Moses that we think about when we think about this great man of faith, right? Someone sounds like he is at, at the end of his hopes. And even despite God's promise and answer to Moses' plea, this is what Moses says in verse 21. But Moses responded to the Lord by saying, There are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, yet you say, I'll give them meat for the whole month. Even if we butcher all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Surely it doesn't sound like someone who has much faith in the Lord, doesn't it? He sounds rather more sarcastic about God's promises. Mind you, Moses has seen God provide before, right? It's not like he does not know who God is. This is a man who spent so much time with God in Sinai, he glowed with the glory of God. He's someone whom God talked with. He wrote down God's word, and he's someone who knew God and was known by God. Talk about burning out. Moses is feeling it. And that's the first thing I want you to realize this morning. You see, this state of Moses does not face God. Do we see that? Not only do we see Moses freely coming and complaining before the Lord, he even questions and doubts about God's provision, the promise of God. After all, Moses is pretty consistent in his character, isn't he? Even when he's first called by God to go to Egypt, this is what he says back in Exodus 3.11. But Moses protested to God. Talk about a guy who talks back to God all the time. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You see, God, who was faithful in responding who walked with him, 
in the past in Exodus is the same God who answers him in numbers. This is God who answers him, listens to him, and even comforts him. You see, Moses' interaction with God, what we see is communion with God. Again, what it means to walk with God, being with God, being known by God, and knowing God. We see even in his complaints, even in his frustration, what we see is that he is in communion with the Lord. And Moses is heard, seen, and even comforted by God who knows him. And this is the gospel truth that we see. This is good news for us. Not that you are free to just go and complain to the Lord. Yes, absolutely. But basis of that is this communion with God the scripture talks about. The walk, the knowing, and being known by God is not only confined to the, to the Old Testament saints, not only given to the perfect people, not only given to these great leaders of faith we read about in the Old Testament, and what we're reminded in the New Testament is that with coming of Christ, we now, those with the Spirit of God residing in us, have deeper intimate relationship with God, even than of Moses. Do you know that? This is what John Owen writes about communion, being known by God, when he says, Abraham was a friend of God. David, a man after God's own heart. Enoch walked with God all enjoying this communion and fellowship for the substance of it. But the way into the holiest was not yet manifest to them. The way into the holy of holies was not manifest to them. But now in Christ, he writes, we, you and I, those who profess our faith in Christ, have boldness and access with confidence to God. This boldness and access with confidence the saints of old were not acquainted with. Another way to say this is that now you and I have with the Lord is what the, New Test- the Old Testament saints long for. They so wanted this. Now you and I have the confidence and boldness to freely come to his presence. In the words of Matthew Leanders, in the author of End of Exploring, he says, we are free within the confines of the cross to love God, but also ask what we want. Church, this is the communion we have with the Lord. This is God who is ready to put his ear to our troubled hearts. A prodigal's father who is running ever towards us. Savior who is ready to wipe away your tears. Come to the Lord, church, in confidence. To be heard, and if he's willing and able to rescue us out of depth of our sin, out of depth of eternal damnation, then come to the Lord. He's ever so willing to listen to your cries, to listen to your hopelessness, to listen to our brokenness, our burnouts, and our struggles. And if our God is God of creator, maker of heaven and earth, and if he is indeed your creator, who knows you more than any other, do you not know and understand that he's ever ready to listen to your heart struggles this morning? I believe that's the gospel. Amen, church? That's the gospel of Christ. Come as you are. Come to the Lord. He's never shying away from who you are and where you are. The gospel reminds us to start there. In a recent, um, as you know, our church is going through lots of transitions, looking for a new pastor and all these different seasons of our life. And recently, our leaders gathered together to talk about the challenges, the problems that we have 
in our church today. Surprise, surprise, we got problems at Christ Central Church. Do you know that? We have that. We identified all of those things, and it was pretty heavy for a moment, and we all sat there. And, you know, I was thinking, I'm a pastor, right? I got to say the hopeful thing. That's my job, right? That's what they're paying me to do. So here we go. Hey, guys, God is doing something great here. Let's move on. And then everyone looked at me and said, what are you talking about, right? And this one woman shepherd wisely spoke out and told me, Pastor, don't just jump there. Let us sit here in our puddles. Hear us and let us grieve together. Church, I was so rebuked and I was so challenged. I was so grateful for that wisdom that was shared. Because oftentimes, how often I just want to jump, move on from the puddles of my emotions and brokenness. And I just want to get out, change the circumstances, change something about the situation, rather than learning to sit there and have God come to me and meet with me there. Church, I think that's what we need to learn at times. In the places of our burnouts, in the places of our frustration, in the places where we don't seem to find hope, what God invites us is to sit in this pot us for a little bit because God is going to be there. If God is going to be present at Calvary for our sins on the cross, God is going to meet you where you are. God knows you. He knows your disc. He knows your Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, all that, right? God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your heart's desire, frustration, how you're made. That's the promise of the Lord this morning, amen? amen. He invites us this morning to sit there and begin there. But God does not end there. He not only burns us out of ourselves, but burns us towards the Lord, burning towards the Lord. As we come to the Lord, we now are able to learn what it means to burn towards the Lord. I love this response that God gives to Moses in verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses in verse 16, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you. I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. He does something, uh, God does something unexpected, doesn't he? By now, if you read through the narrative of Exodus, you're used to seeing God come with thundering miracles, right? The manna comes. The rest is split open. God provides the way. But here, in Moses' response, an Israelites complain, rather than a miraculous intervention that happens right away, rather God uses Moses to play a role in remedying his own situation first. God tells Moses to appoint 70 elders. And I think God does this so that Moses can see what is happening. What we see is that God is after Moses' heart. God can easily change the circumstances, can he not? But God is building up Moses here, transforming him, growing him in his character and his love for the Lord. So in the process of coming to the Lord, Moses is used by God to raise up the elders here, to share, to guide, but also to love on these leaders to see a heart that is burnt out by a complaining heart turns to loving them, caring for them, raising them up, discipling them. And you see God's heart in that as well. And this is evident in how Moses now responds to Joshua after this experience. 
You see, there are some, as we see in the text, that were not present when the Spirit was given to the elders, as God commanded here, but were still able to prophesy, meaning speak the word of God. So Joshua, seeing this, were frustrated. He seems like someone that follows all the rules, right? And he says, why is this happening? And this is what happens, and this is the response of Moses. Verse 26, two men, Eldad and uh, Medad, had stayed behind in camp. They were listed among the elders, but for some reason, they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But guess what Moses says? Moses doesn't say, woe is me, Lord, I should die now. Rather, he says now, but Moses replied to Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to camp with the elders of Israel. Notice the change of tone and the heart of Moses. The burnt out, the frustrated Moses is nowhere to be found. What we see is Moses now turning, resting on the empowering spirit of the Lord on the people of God. And he's rejoicing in God's work among God's people. And even hints at the future when the spirit of God will rest upon all people in Pentecost. He sees God's heart in serving rather than the burden that was placed upon his shoulders. There's transformation that happens as a result of God working through this situation. And this is what God does with us in these moments of challenges, I believe. I believe God, uh, Scripture reminds us God is at work in us, orchestrating and moving all these things. God does not leave things to chances, but all is under God's plan. Sometimes it happens through miraculous interventions like providing quail in the desert. He sometimes does provide a miraculous way out. We ought to pray for those things, obviously. But sometimes, not only God works through transformation of circumstances, but quite often, it is through even our own transformation, through ordinary means, that God provides. Sometimes through the people of God, through our own growing insights, the wisdom spoken into us, all in all, God is at work orchestrating all things for our good and for his glory. Church, I believe sometimes God uses circumstances to change us, to show us who we are. Sometimes the circumstances that we are in reveal to us what really is in our hearts, doesn't it? What desires that you and I really have is often revealed to us where you're in the crucibles on fire. So oftentimes in those moments, what God does is God draws out our testimony, our stories through these moments of his intervention by the glory of God, whether through miraculous means or through sometimes step-by-step ordinary remedies that transform us. How do we know that? How do we know that? I could quote myriads of verses, starting with Romans 8.28, that speak of God's goodness even in persecution. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, Christians, you proclaim that, don't you? You testify to that, don't you not? Why do we often live as the ones who do not have the promise of God in our hearts? Why do we often live as orphans when Christ 
reminds us that we are bought at a price. We're adopted into the family of God. Why do we live as if there's no grace of God available to us? Why do we often run towards the wisdom of the world and not to the wisdom we find in the scripture? Time and time again, circumstances reveal to us where we place our faith in more than anything else. It often reminds us, again, to bring us closer to the promise of God that says nothing will separate us from the love of God. Church, remember, remember the uh, coming of the sea by Christ in the New Testament? Where disciples said Jesus were in the ocean and the storm was raging in the background. Disciples thought they were going to die and Jesus is sleeping. It's not because he's a deep sleeper. He's able to sleep through all these things, right? You see that he wakes up, he calms the sea, and those who are with them are amazed, and they shout. Even the sea, which symbolized chaos, listens to him. Who is he, right? We often get amazed at the fact that he's able to do this miraculous part of coming the sea. But what often that we don't remember is that he actually created that too. Did he not? Not only he created the ocean, the sea, but storms are there for a reason too, right? In North Carolina, we don't get much rain. We want rain. We grow. We, we water our grass because we want them to survive. Without storms and rain, they will die. God not only created the sea and you in it, but the storms of life and all those things are under God's control. Amen? Amen. That's who God is. That's how God works. Here, these precious disciples are in the hands of the Creator. We don't not only must look at the coming of the sea as a miraculous event where God comes to sea, but it is God of Creator, Creator God, who is in the midst of the sea that we must see. As a popular children's song goes, he got the whole world, whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. And if we really, really believe that church, that means even in our circumstantial challenges that you are and I are in, in the states of pressure, the uncertainties, discouragements that you and I face, the valleys of shadow of death, remember with hope that God is at work in them. And even through the hopelessness, the pointlessness, we are the people. We're called to hope against hope, seek purpose in purpose, purpose, purposelessness, because God does not make mistake in leading you in it and out of it. All the while, building your character so you can become more and more like him. Oftentimes, church, we find ourselves chasing after things. We often profess that we believe in the Lord, but we are often chasing after things of the world. Circumstances reveal to us what we're really chasing. And if we are truly Christ followers, you know what God cares most about in our lives? Not your 401k, not your five to nines, not the nice house you got or vacation homes or even job satisfaction or family joy. All good things. Please do not hear me not saying you should pursue those things. You need that. But ultimately what God is after is who you are becoming, your character, the testimony that draws out to testify to Christ. And as you are drawn out in your testimony, you'll learn what it means to burn towards the grace of the Lord and point others to it. Church, what we see in this text is that Moses is, his, is on his journey. Israelites are also on their journey. I believe you and I are also on journey in following 
Christ. Final thing we see, not only we burn out of ourselves, learning to burn towards God, but we learn ultimately what it means to burning out for the Lord. Burning out for the Lord. This is ever more so highlighted when you compare Moses' complaining to that of people complaining in verse 4. Aided by the foreign rebels who joined Israelites on the journey, we weren't sure exactly who they are except that they have come out with Israelites in the Exodus. This is what we read in verse 4. Then the foreign rebels who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave good things out of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat, they proclaimed, exclaimed, We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Oh, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlics we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Upon this revel, the Israelites join in and start to reminisce about the food they had in Egypt. Now you could clearly tell they're mistaken here. It's foolishness. When they say, we used to eat this for free in Egypt. Remember, in Exodus 1.14, this is what it says. They made their lives bitter, Egyptians, the Israelites, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. It was not free. They worked very, very hard, probably got nothing in return. And in response to this, God somehow, somehow hilarious response. It's one of my favorite passages in the scripture, right? Like, you know how we did the eldest thing, and they said, what is your favorite scripture? This is actually one of my favorite uh, scripture, because I think God understands my heart too, right? Especially when our children says, God, uh, Daddy, I want Halloween candy for dinner. All right, you want Halloween candy? This is God's response. And said to my people, purify yourselves. For tomorrow, verse 18, you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried, oh, for some meat, we're better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two, or the five, or ten, or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. You have whined to him saying, why do we ever leave Egypt? Parents, can you not relate to this? Especially this past Monday when they're like, I want Halloween candy. Can I have one more? Can I have one more, please? I don't want to eat dinner. I want to eat this. And you're like, yeah, you really want that? Sure, you could get that. Today, tomorrow, this week, this month, only candy until you're sick of it, right? It sounds like God is telling Israelites, all right, you want meat? You get meat all the time. No other things, only meat, right? That's, what, that's right, that's what you get. It sounds like that, right, doesn't it? But the key point, church, um, is the last line here. The anger of the Lord is not merely because Israelites just wanted some meat. Because later, God does provide meat for them. Rather, what we see is rejection of God and desire for Egypt. In rejecting manna here, the heavenly bread, food produced by faith, what Israelites are complaining and want is the craving for the worldly matters, especially highlighted by Egypt, and wanting to go back to Egypt. To make sure we get it, Moses explains what manna is in verse 7. It says, manna looked like coriander seed, and it was pale yellow like gum raisin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding with hand mills, pounding it into mortars. And they boiled it in a pot, made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries, baked with olive oil. The manna came down on camp with the dew during the night. It is deliberately describing here, again, to repute each point in people's complaint. Manna was a seed, hence it was easy to get. It was white, hence it was easy to spot. It was clean since it came on the layer of dew 
It was eaten raw or cooked, hence not monotonous affair. And like a cream in taste, it says, means it will not dry your throat out. It was amazing food. That's what Moses is writing for us. Here, what we see is Israelites complain, right? But what we also saw is Moses does the same in complaining. And we just saw how God is able to deal with our complaining and often troubled heart. So what's the difference here? And why the judgment upon Israelites and not Moses who also complained? Again, the main difference between Moses and Israelites is not that one is complaining and one is not. They both are. They both have questions. They both have no hope, it seems. Moses is burnt out. Israelites are tired and sick of the daily ration of manna. They both complain. But biggest challenge and difference, again, the warning for us is one is headed towards the Lord while the other goes away from the Lord. How do we see that? You see, Moses goes to the Lord in complaint. The people are described as wanting to go back to Egypt, away from the journey. And that's the big difference we see here and the stern warning against walking away from the Lord. Verse 31, Now the Lord sent the wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall around the camp. For miles in every direction there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all the day and throughout the night, all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouth, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. It's not that your life will result in the state of burnout is the focus here. It's not that he's saying that you will always be there is at the focus of the text here. It's not also saying um, or diminishing the burnout of any sense or complaining heart. The biggest gospel warning we see in this text, more than anything else we just talked about, is that God is after your soul and your heart. It is a matter of life and death in whom you seek in all this. We oftentimes diminish some of the choices we make, directions we go towards, and the life choices. But in this judgment warning text we see here, what God reminds us is not that it's not a matter of just mere choices you make. And ultimately, it points towards greater destination that you're headed. The quail narrative here focuses upon who do you desire more? God or the worldly things? What does your life create and find satisfaction in it the most? God or the worldly things? And you know, this text scares me because of that. Because even with the warning of Moses in this text urging to go to the Lord, I don't know about you, but I have quail stuck between my teeth, right? I'm the one that says, I want quail, I want meat. One day, two day, five day, 10 day, 20 days, great, I want that. I want what you used to have back then, not this hardship with the Lord. I often find myself not wanting to go to the Lord like Moses did, and actually I'm with the Israelites with chaos stuck between my teeth, waiting for the punishment from the Lord to come. And church, this is why the gospel grace is so good news for us this morning. 
And this is why the gospel of grace reminds us that he still loved us with quail stuck between our teeth. In Matthew chapter 4, 4, we find Jesus in the wilderness, isn't he? He's led out by the Spirit to be there just like the Israelites were. And he's tempted by the devil saying, you're hungry, Jesus. Turn those bread into bread, uh, stones into bread. Feed yourself. And do you know what Jesus does in Matthew 4, 4? He quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3 and says, I will not do this, Satan, because men shall not live by bread alone. My desire is not for bread and worldly things, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God on the heavenly things. And Jesus obeys where the Israelites disobey. Jesus obeys where we often fail to obey. Furthermore, in Matthew 14, we see him out in the wilderness one more time. And this time, surrounded by a huge multitude, 5,000 people at that, and people are hungry. So what happens? Jesus provides the food. He feeds them, using disciples' hands and feet to feed them. What is the lesson we read about in John 29, uh, John 6, 29, 32, where he says, Jesus told them, this is the only word God wants from you. Christians, church, this is the only word God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answer, show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture said Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I will tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. And what is that bread? John chapter 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It is God who provides the manna for us, God who provides Christ for us, so that those with quail stuck in their teeth can be transformed inside out and to be drawn out in our testimony in saying, I want Christ above all things, not by your own might, not by your own desire to pull it out of you, but by God's transforming power of grace, you could turn away from burning from, for yourself towards the Lord so you could burn out for Christ. That's the grace of God, isn't it? That's the hope of the Lord. Jesus is saying, hold on desperately to my hope that can transform your life. Christians are not only Christians because we tell others about Christ. Our lives show who Christ is by holding onto him desperately. That's the testimony. We don't need to be eloquent, nor all the scripture. You know better who you're holding desperately onto, who your hope is. Christians are marked by who they hold onto more than what they know. Christians are marked by who they are going after more than what kind of influence they have. Christians are marked by sitting in the puddles of sin, finding God's grace, rather than living a perfect, spotless life on their own. And God's hope is that he will transform your life to draw out the testimony in you. Mr. Suk wasn't the most eloquent speaker that I've known. She would often shudder when speaking in public. She would practice and rehearse often when she's speaking because she often said, I have fear of speaking in public. She didn't have much to her name after all, no house, 
no big inheritance she left behind for her family. But one thing that she did, she read her Bible faithfully, tried her best in failing memory to memorize them, but often forgot and result to paraphrasing the scripture at that. She didn't have the greatest theological answers to the life's biggest struggles. She often never found satisfaction in family, career that she never got to have. But she loved her, uh, but she loved her Lord. And she did have her family. And she lived faithfully going to her same church through the seasons of change for over 50 years. When he, she died, there were no big celebrations. But family gathered. Those who knew her gathered. But as her family cleaned out her room, a single apartment room at that, they found this note. You could cue up the picture, please. This note is written in Korean, and this is what it says. Jesus Christ, to me, God is the one who gives me energy to start a new day. He is my Savior. May I learn to enjoy life in joy by faith in Christ today. Amen. Every morning she recited. She's my grandmother, not a giant of faith, the person in red with two hands up, not a giant of faith by any worldly definition at that. But this testimony, I believe, is a great testimony of faith. By God's grace, I start out new day with energy. May I learn to enjoy today by faith in Christ alone. Amen. Church, God is at work in your life. He will not leave you alone. God will transform you. He's not done with you. He is our God. He gives us strength to start a new day. He is our Savior. May we all learn to enjoy our God today by faith in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Join with me praying and praying to the Lord. And many of you need that prayer. More so than perhaps a theological eloquence or mapped out plan for your career, for your family, or even assurance that life will be okay. Perhaps what you need more than anything right now in your prayer is this prayer of saying, God, I need you. Can I pray for that for all of us? Join with me as we pray. Father, that's our prayer. Today, as we gather in the Lord, we'll learn what it means to seek the Lord, to enjoy, to start this day, not because the circumstances of this world make it easy, after all, Lord, it's more and more difficult to testify to grace. We often are better left and right by all the challenges the world throws at us, the political turmoil, the tragedies in the world that we see, even our own heart that's restless at times. Father, we seek after you as we are revealed in these circumstances. Turn our eyes to the Lord. Draw out our testimony out of us transform our lives so we could have faith in the Lord to start this day fresh again with the renewed hope that only comes from Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.